Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So a number of years ago, I picked up this book called How to Dad. And, and it's filled with all kinds of really important instructions on being a dad, like how to skip a rock, okay, and how to bait a hook, um, how to stop a bloody nose, and, and most importantly, how to lose at tic-tac-toe. Now, just a, a, a clue for those of you who are first-time fathers and you're brand new at this thing, you are never allowed to win at tic-tac-toe, okay? But there's a fine art to learning how to lose without giving it away. And so this book is filled with all kinds of those uh, really important things that you need to know as a dad. And I thought I'd read, being Father's Day, um, this section on how to teach your kids to ride a bike, Okay, so uh, how to teach your kids to ride a bike. Sloan Wilson, he writes, the author of The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit once wrote, the hardest part of raising children is teaching them to ride bicycles. A parent can run beside the bicycle or stand yelling directions while the child falls. A shaky child on a, motor, on a bicycle for the first time needs both support and freedom, and this is what your child will always need. Children also need to know that they are not going to break into a million pieces. So the following patented system is designed to give that child that needed confidence. It starts with clothing. Proper clothing is the most essential part of learning to ride a bike. For the child, it should be two of everything for padding, and especially an old jacket or sweatshirt. For the father, it should be sneakers, a pair of shorts, and a t-shirt. The latter is de rigueur even in the middle of winter, for few activities are more sweat-inducing and anxiety-provoking than teaching your kids to ride a bike. Fall and winter are better than spring and summer for learning to ride a bike, simply because children won't complain so much about all the clothing they have to wear, and you will stay slightly cooler. The exception, of course, is if there is ice on the roads. Bike skating is even harder to learn than bike riding. <laughs> Sight selection. Choose a flat, paved spot of the road at least 200 yards long. It helps if it's not a main thoroughfare and there are no intersections. Freeways and interstate highways are almost never a good idea. The best site is an underused paved path or roadway set next to a gently sloping grassy knoll. Those are hard to find, but give it a lot of thought, and I bet you'll probably be able to remember one within a 250-mile radius of your home. Technique. The all-important object of teaching children to ride a bike is to give them the sense of security and a sense of freedom at the same time. This is where the old jacket or sweatshirt comes in. To get started, run alongside of the bike, child up, with one hand on the center of handlebars and the other grasping the nape of the sweatshirt as though it were the child's handle. After a few runs like this, graduate to holding only the sweatshirt handle, but make sure the child knows how tight you have it. It is even a good idea to jerk the child off the bike at the first serious wobbling to show you that you aren't going to let them crash. <laughs> Learning to ride a bike is like jumping up in the air. One moment you're on the ground, and the next you are airborne. The problem is you never know when that micro moment that separates bike riding from not riding is going to come. As the child's confidence builds, loosen your grip, but with your hands still in position until he or she gets the sense of going it alone. And when the time is right, and you'll sort of feel it, remove your hand while continuing to run alongside the bike. The key is to stick with it. The first day can be frustrating. The second, hopeless. 
By the third day, you may be convinced that your child is destined to walk forever. (laughs) Then, miraculously, incredibly, for no reason at all, all systems will be go. And that's how it's done. Now, wouldn't it be great if raising a child was as easy as a simple picture book? Okay? The problem is, it is not. Parenting is hard. Fatherhood is hard. There is no instruction manual. It is pretty much learned by the seat of your pants. Okay? And there are no guarantees. I have seen parents who I think were, were thought were the best of parents have kids who made bad decisions and turned a different direction. And I've seen what I've considered to be some of the worst parents I'd ever noticed have beautiful, great kids. There's just no guarantees with this thing. But we are given some really good godly advice in Scripture. In fact, Jesus himself gave us some great advice. By his words and by his actions, he gave us some godly wisdom for raising our kids. And so we're starting this new series, um, and it's called What Jesus Said About That. And since it's Father's Day, we're going to start with what Jesus said about fatherhood. And by the way, you know, it was Jesus who introduced and brought this concept of being able to relate to God as Abba. Now, Abba is Hebrew for daddy, papa. It's the cry of a little child for his father. And Jesus was the one who brought us this idea that God wasn't some far off, some omnipotent being to be feared at every moment, but to be able to be loved and call out to him as daddy. And Jesus' example of his relationship with God the Father gives us some great, great examples and godly wisdom for being fathers. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in um, John chapter 5. If you want to turn there, by the way, um, the, the sermon notes are available through the Northgate app. They're there on there. So if you've got your smartphone or your pat- tablet with you, um, feel free to use that. Now, one of the things, this is the second week we're trying this. Um, what, one thing we learned last week is there is no autosave on this. So what you need to do is set your phone not to go to sleep on you or just make sure that you keep up with the notes because um, if it goes to sleep, you've lost everything that you've taken, okay? And now what we encourage you to do is if you can use that, you can actually email it to yourself and then you'll have it with you um, at your community group meeting this week. So we encourage you to use the Northgate app for, uh, for your note taking. For those of you who are paper and pencil kind of people, they're inside your bulletin. But we're going to be in John chapter 5. That's where we're going to start. Verse 19, and this comes at a time when the religious authorities are challenging Jesus by what authority do you speak and do you talk about God? And this is what Jesus' answer to them was. Verse 19, chapter 5, John's gospel. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Then a couple chapters over, John 8, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said this, I do nothing on my own, but speak only what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Now, I think it's pretty safe to say that there is no father in this room that is perfect like God. 
And it's probably also safe to assume that none of us have perfect children like Jesus, okay? So uh, we're going to admit our humanity here today. But what we're going to talk about, and this is not just for fathers, by the way. This is also for moms. This is for aunts and uncles and grandpas and grandmas. It's actually for anybody who has any kind of influence on the life of a child. But I do want to focus a little bit today on fathers, because I think there is something unique about that responsibility of fatherhood. And there, what I want to give you today is three of the greatest gifts you can give your kids. And I want to start with this one. Give your kids the security of your love. Children thrive. They, they, they flourish in an atmosphere of secure love. And that's what Jesus demonstrated. He demonstrated a genuine love for children. You might remember there was an, an occasion in Jesus' ministry as he became more and more popular, more and more people were following him. And, and he came into a town, and all of the parents were bringing their kids to Jesus uh, to bless him, to bless them. And, and, and it was like his disciples were kind of pushing the people away and pushing the kids away and, and basically saying, he doesn't have time for that, you know. He's, he's an important person. He's got places to go, people to see, things to do. He can't be bothered with your kids. And it says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and he blessed them. Now, you got to kind of picture this a little bit, okay? Because Jesus had become very, very popular. He was well known, and everybody wanted to get together with him. Everybody wanted to see him. Everybody wanted to meet him. Everybody wanted to touch him, you know, get his autograph, whatever it was, okay? So kind of think of it this way. If we had invited on this Father's Day somebody famous to come and speak instead of me, okay? Like, like say we invited Steph Curry to come and address, Okay? <laughs> Okay, he would be well received. But if he walked on campus and didn't even bother coming in here, but went straight to our dig children's ministry and hung out with the kids, can you imagine what that would be for our kids? You know, he doesn't have time for the adults. He's going to hang out with the kids. Okay, that would be the kind of thing that would be happening at this situation. That Jesus had time for the kids. And he treated them with love and respect. That is one of the things, that is one of the best gifts you can give your kids. To give them that security that they know that they are loved. And they are loved not for what they accomplish or how good their grades are or how well they do on the soccer field or the little league field, but for who they are. And it's very important to make that distinction. Love should not be earned. Love should be given freely. And you need to find ways to express their love for your children that isn't based on their accomplishments. We have a great example of that. God the Father did this. Before Jesus preached his very first sermon, before he performed his first miracle, before he even called his first disciples, before he did anything, he went out to be baptized by John. And if you remember the baptism story, as he came up out of the water, it says, The Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven came saying, You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Before he did a single thing in terms of ministry, the Father affirmed him for who he was. And it's so important, so important that we do that. And I think particularly, dads, I'd like to encourage you, find as many ways as you can to express your love to your children. And even as they grow up, 
Don't stop expressing your love. And one of the things that I do when I perform a wedding, I, I do six weeks of premarital counseling with every couple. And in the first session, we sit down and it's kind of a get acquainted and kind of find out about their backgrounds and their, their relationship and all those kinds of things. And one of the questions that I ask them is I said, you know, every family has its own love language. Okay? And there's a lot of different love languages. Some people are very verbal. There's a lot of I love you's, a lot of uh, verbal affirmation, a lot of that kind of stuff going on. Some families are not so verbal. They're much more demonstrative and affectionate, and there's a lot of hugs and kisses. And, and some families, maybe the, the major love language is, is doing things for one another and helping each other out and, and just supporting and having each other's back. And, and other families, it's, it's, it's gift giving and doing little things and little surprises, and that's how you express love. And, and what I do is I ask each, each of uh, the, the bride-to-be and groom-to-be, I just ask, how was love, what was the primary love language in your family growing up? And very often the response that I get is, well, my mom, my mom was very verbal and lots of hugs and kisses. My mom, she just, you know, she just loved on us all the time. My dad, not so much. My dad, I guess, I guess he did things for us. I, I guess that was his love language. And I think to myself, how sad if there's, that's the only memory that they have of their childhood growing up is the kind of love they got from dad was just, they did. Now that's not, that's an important love language. But dads, I want to say, I think, I think it comes, and this is just my own feeling, okay? I got no proof of this. I think it comes a little more naturally to moms. I think dads, we need to work harder at finding ways to express our love to our kids because they thrive in that kind of environment. I think one of the best expressions of love that you can give your kids is spelt T-I-M-E. Time. Time spent with your kids is probably the greatest expression of love you can have. Any NASCAR fans around here? Okay, a few. All right. Um, There's this thing in NASCAR because, you know, the cars race around this track and eventually they need new tires. They need um, they need to be refueled. And so they have this thing called a pit stop. And in a pit stop, the car comes in and they've only got a few seconds because they got to get back out on the racetrack. So they pull in. These guys jump over this protective wall. And in anywhere between 10 and 15 seconds, they change all four tires. They fuel up with 18 gallons of gas and they get that car back on the road. Okay, dads, your family is not a pit stop. <laughs> Don't think you can show up for 10 or 15 seconds, give a little bit of love all around, and take off again. Sometimes, dads, I think we are guilty of saying we love our family, but the choices we make with our time and what we do with our time on our jobs, with our friends, with our hobbies, with our own interests, give a different message. I think one of the best gifts you can give is a gift of love. And I think the best expression of love is time. That's what Jesus did. He didn't just rebuke the disciples for shooing these kids. He welcomed the kids, but then it said that he took them in his arms. He put his hands on them and blessed them. Now, the picture I get from that is he didn't just run them through in a line. That he sat down with them and spent some time with them and asked them, What do you want to be when you grow up? What's your favorite subject in school? Tell me about yourself. See, that kind of stuff takes time. And the picture that I get from that, when it tells very descriptively what Jesus did, it wasn't an assembly line. He took time with each child. 
Children flourish in that. And it will cost you. Love costs you something. It'll cost you your time. It'll cost you your energy. It'll cost you your sleep sometimes. I remember when we had our first child, um, the pastor that I was working for at the time came to me and says, okay, I just want you to know, you just had the last full night of sleep you're going to have for the next 18 years. Because when, once they get through the, the feeding stages, then it's going to be the, the illness stages. And once that, then they become teenagers and you still don't get a good night's sleep, okay? That's just the way it's going to be. It's going to cost you something, but it is worth the cost. Give your children that security of your love. Second thing, give your kids a sense of purpose. Give them a sense of purpose. I think, there's, I think it's safe to say no one lived this life on this earth with a greater sense of purpose than Jesus. He knew his mission on this earth. And from a very, very early age, he was about that. Um, in fact, there's a, a, it's recorded in the Gospels, that, um, in Luke's Gospel, that the family took a trip up to Jerusalem for the feast. And this was something that was often done. The feasts were often celebrated in the capital city of Jerusalem. And so people from all the surrounding towns, in fact, whole towns would come together in a big caravan and go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. And, and there's an account in Luke's Gospel where Mary and Joseph took the family. They went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast and, and spent the time through the whole feast season. And then they went back home, and it was a couple days' journey. And they came at the end of the journey, uh, at the end of the first day of their journey. They stopped, and they looked around, and, G- and I'm going to interpret a little bit here. Joseph turned to Mary and said, where's Jesus? Mary said, I thought you had him. He said, no, 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 the last time I saw him, he was with you. No, 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 don't put this on me. It was your responsibility. You're the man of the house. You and they finally they realized Jesus was not with them. Anybody here ever lost a child? Yeah? Okay, come on. Be honest. Raise your hand. Confession time, okay? You ever lost? You know that panicky feeling when you realize you, your child's missing? Okay, think of Mary and Joseph going to God and saying, oh, we lost your kid. <laughs> Talk about panic, okay? So they, they, they get on back to Jerusalem as fast as they can, and they go through Jerusalem high and low. They go, and finally, they find him in the temple, and they do what every parent does when they find their lost child. They scold the child. What are you doing? Where were you? As if it was their fault, right? Where were you? We've been looking high and low for you. Don't you ever do this to us again? And Jesus' response to them was this, listen, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Some of your translations say, didn't you know I would have to be in my father's house? It's a real interesting sentence because in the original language, you can't really translate it because literally what it says is something along the lines of, didn't you know I would be about that of my father? In other words, he knew what his purpose was on this earth. At the age of 12, he knew where he needed to be and what he needed to be doing. And he got that from his heavenly father. John 8, 28. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Now, between his divinity and his humanity, I'm not entirely sure how that all worked and how that all came about. I know the writer of Hebrews tells us that, that, that Jesus learned obedience by his experiences in his life on this earth. Again, I don't understand how that all works, 
But what it tells me is that this was this unfolding process of obedience. And he got that from his heavenly father. You can build a sense of purpose in your kids. And it starts with becoming a student of your child. Every child is unique. You need to get to know your child's uniqueness. And if you have more than one kid, you you know this. They have different personalities. They have different interests and hobbies. They have different skills and abilities. And what you need to do is you need to identify and discover your child, your individual child's unique personality and skills and abilities and interests and hobbies and encourage them in that. Encourage them to become who God created them to be. Encourage them to take new steps and take risky steps and try new things. Encourage them. Don't force them. I, I coached Little League for, for years when my, my son was in Little League. And, and, and every once in a while, we would have a kid on the team who obviously had no interest in baseball. The only reason they were on their team is because their dad had interest in baseball. And they, they were clearly not interested, didn't want to be there, but they were there because dad was making them. Now, I know baseball is the greatest sport ever invented, okay? But not every kid enjoys it. You need to discover what your child's uniqueness is and encourage them in that. And and encourage them to take those steps and discover who they are. And then affirm them. When you find what they are good at, affirm them as many times as you can. When you catch them doing good, affirm them in what they do. You are building in them a sense of purpose. I, uh, one of our favorite programs that we watch often uh, is called Chopped. It's on the Food Network, I think. And I don't know if anybody ever watches this, but um, it's basically a competition between four chefs, usually younger chefs. And, and what they do is they have different rounds. They have the appetizer round, the entree round, and then the dessert round. And what they do is they give each contestant a basket full of some of the weirdest food that I had never seen before in my life. And by each round, they kind of eliminate someone. They eliminate someone after the... um, Because they have to come up with a meal with this stuff. So they eliminate someone from the appetizer round, someone from the entree round. Then the final, the winner of the dessert round is the one who wins the thing. And very often they have interviews and they they tell about where they are from and uh, what restaurant they work at. And very often they say, the reason I'm in this competition is I want to prove to my parents that I am a good chef. Because my parents wanted me to be a doctor. (laughs) Or my parents wanted me to be a lawyer. And I just wanted them to, I want to prove to them that this is my calling and this is what I'm good at. And when I hear that, I think to myself, how can parents give that impression to their kids? That they're not living up to what they should be living up to when they found what what, what floats their boat. (laughs) See, affirm them in the things that they are gifted and skilled at. And I think there's one more thing. Give them a sense of a greater purpose. Help them to understand that there is a life beyond this one. And that they have an eternal, an eternal purpose as well. That they have, that God can work through them in their relationships, in their jobs, in their school. That God has something for them to do while they are on this earth. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. He said to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Encourage them to let their light shine. To take up their eternal purpose that God has for them. And then the last thing is this. Give your kids 
a confident faith. Not just faith, but a confident faith. I I believe your child's ability to trust in God is largely going to be shaped by how they learn to be able to trust you. And and I've I've had conversations with so many people who have such great difficulty um, relating to God as a loving Heavenly Father because their childhood experience was not of a loving fatherhood. And so their ability to trust in God and believe that God is good and gracious and generous and loving is difficult because that's not what they experience. The way that you raise your children is going to have a great influence on their ability to relate to God. And I think that's particularly of fathers. Jesus put it this way. He said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? He's saying, listen, your children know that you care for them and that you will provide for them. They trust that you will not do anything that would endanger them. And then he makes the connection. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, I think you want your kids to know that God is good, that God is generous, that he is gracious, that he is forgiving. You want your kids to understand that about God. You want them to believe that there is a God who is willing to say yes to them. When when our kids were younger and they were growing up, and particularly when we were first planting Northgate, and money was tight and we couldn't do a lot of things, and our kids would ask for a toy or ask to go out for ice cream or ask to go somewhere or go do something, and, and we just didn't have the funds. You know, it was just things were very, very tight. And so very often my answer was, no, we can't afford that or no, we can't do that or no. And, you know, other people, well, we're not other people and other families, and well, we're not other families and all that kind of stuff. And after a while, my wife came to me. She kind of took me aside one day and she said, do you realize that your default answer when any time the kids ask for anything or ask to go somewhere, your default answer is no? I hate it when she says things like that. <laughs> She was right. She said, why don't we, hint, hint, why don't we make it a policy to do everything we can to say yes if we possibly can? Some of the best advice I got on fatherhood from my wife. (laughs) I think sometimes when we say no so often, we kind of give this picture because that's how they start to relate to their heavenly father. Like, God is holding out on me. God doesn't want the best for me. God is the one who says no. I think you want him to know God is the one who says yes. He is good. He is generous. He is giving. He is forgiving. And they're going to learn that from you, dads. And one more thing. When it comes to confident faith, teach your kids that faith is an adventure. I think sometimes in Christian circle, we, we, as parents, we kind of get into this pr- overly protective mode, and, and we want our kids to be safe, safe, not, not from dangerous things, but, but safe from those, those pagan, evil, worldly people, you know? We want children's ministries, we want youth ministries that will keep our kids from those bad kids, you know? And it's all about keeping our kids safe, but there's nothing about faith that is safe. 
Jesus never promised a comfortable life of faith. Faith is bold. Faith is daring. Faith is risky. Jesus called us to a life that steps out in areas that we have no idea how it's going to end and trust that God will care for us and provide for us and take care of us in the middle of all. That's what real faith is. And I think sometimes in Christian circles, we are so consumed with safe instead of faith that we create spiritual bubble boys <laughs> or, or spiritual bubble girls. And they are not prepared for the world that they are going to encounter. And they graduate from high school and they go off to college. And all of a sudden, there's a whole world that they have been kept safe from, but they don't know how to handle it. I think we want our kids to know that faith is risky. Faith is daring. Faith is bold. And there are no guarantees. But God is bigger and stronger than anything else you're going to come up against. And you can trust him. And you don't have to be safe. And this really came home to me just a couple of weeks ago when we did our groundbreaking. Um, our daughter, who is now fully grown, she's going to be 35 this year, has two kids of her own. And after the groundbreaking ceremony a couple of weeks ago, uh, she went home and she posted on Facebook and, and tagged me in it. And I read this, and it just brought tears to my eyes. And I am going to try to read it to you this morning. Um, and I asked her permission. I asked her permission if I could read this, if it would be okay for me to read this. And I started asking her, and she started tearing up. She started crying over the phone, which made me start crying. And so like, can I read it? Yes, okay. Oh, I'm gonna read it. Okay. So I'm gonna try and get through this, but then I've had a couple of practice sessions already on this. So but let me just let me just this is what she wrote. Today was pretty amazing. 25 years ago, we moved to Benicia. I was nine because my dad was planting a brand new church, a place that was to be welcoming to everyone, a place to bring people to God, a place for unchurched people to become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. I was only nine. And my dad's concern was that as kids, we would grow, not grow up in a church with a big youth group or an awesome youth program. What he didn't know, what he didn't know is that we learned far more about God's grace and faithfulness by living it and watching my parents live it. No church class or youth group could have taught us how God truly provides when you take bold risks and trust in the Lord. He alone will work the miracles. As kids, we watched it unfold. We met so many people from all walks of life who came to know Jesus and see him work in so many lives, transforming people, healing people, and people loving him. God grew this church that started with 10 people in my childhood living room to almost 1,000 people with a church building busting at the seams, a church that gives almost $900 a week to a needy family every week. Today, we broke ground on a new building. And as I reflect on watching this 25 years of dedication my dad and mom have to this church and to our God, I could not be more proud. Dad, I am so grateful to you for bringing us on this journey. You are a great example of someone living for God. I love you for loving for God. And for not just teaching us about him, 
so, so proud. That's my girl. <laughs> None of us are perfect as parents. But I think the best gifts you can possibly give them is the security of your love and a sense of purpose for their life and a confident faith that will carry them through no matter what. Would you bow your heads with me? The same Jesus that said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, also said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He called us to live bold, adventurous, loving lives. And I'd like to close our time together this morning praying for dads. Particularly if you are a father who is struggling right now with the demands of fatherhood. Or you're facing a situation and you don't know how to juggle those balls and, and balance those plates of all the demands that are on you. But you know more than anything else, you want to be a good dad. You want to be a good father. Or, or maybe you're a father and you're seeing your kids make some choices that just break your heart. And you don't know how to handle it. And you're feeling overwhelmed by the whole thing. You're not left to do this on your own. God will step in and he'll help you where you can't. Maybe you're here and you've lost a child. Something no parent ever wants to do. But this Father's Day, your heart kind of aches a little bit. I want to pray for you. In fact, not just for dads. I want to pray for moms too. But if you're a parent and you just kind of find yourself in a difficult time right now, as a parent and you could just use a sense of God's presence and his strength and his wisdom carrying you through and I could pray for you today would you just raise your hand and hold it up for a moment so I can see and pray for you yeah 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 yes yeah 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 yes yeah yeah wow all over Secondly, if you're here today and you do not know God as a loving, heavenly father. And maybe it's because of your childhood experiences and you have a difficulty relating to him. Or maybe it's just simply because you've never come to that realization. I want you to know that you have a God who loves you like a father. Maybe the father you never had. And he loved you so much, he was willing to give his one and only son who came to this earth and gave his life so that you could know forgiveness and redemption and you could know a relationship with God and know him as your loving heavenly father. Papa, Daddy, Abba. And you can have that as a reality today. And it's just a simple step of faith. You acknowledge your need. You admit your sin. You admit your mistakes and your failures. And you just simply ask for his forgiveness. And then you just turn your life over into his hands. And he will take care of you. And if you have never done that, but today it's a first step of faith for you. Same thing, would you just raise your hand? And when you do, look up and catch my eye because I would like to pray specifically. I want to acknowledge you. So if there's anybody taking a first step of faith today, to raise your hand. So I'm going to invite you. Just join me in this prayer. Lord, we pray 
for the parents in this room. We pray particularly for the dads, but moms as well, who are facing some difficult times right now in their roles as moms and dads. Lord, would you come alongside them and make your presence known to them in a very special way right now? Would you give them the wisdom and the courage and the faith and the strength to move forward in this most difficult, difficult task sometimes? And would you work in the lives of those kids to renew and restore? Lord, bring hope, bring strength, bring faith, we pray in Jesus' name. listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. You